0: John chapter 17 verse 21 is our focus verse but actually we're going to look at verses 20 to uh, 23 so let me read verses 20 to 23 Jesus said my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me." Well, here we are uh, at the start of the year, or at least that's kind of how I think about the first Sunday after Labor Day. I don't really know why January 1 is New Year's. That seems completely random to me. So uh, I I like to think of, uh, you know, Labor Day is kind of when everything starts. I mean, summer's over, and we're all kind of getting back in the swing of things. Uh, People are done with vacation. They're kind of getting refocused here. Uh, you know, if you're a New Englander, we're kind of mentally preparing ourselves for the onslaught of winter, which is just around the corner. And, uh, and it, certainly if you have kids, this is when school starts up, sports start up, all that stuff uh, kicks off again. Even if you don't have kids, I, I feel like the school calendar kind of uh, overlays our, our whole uh, so, social rhythm here that we have as people uh, living in the suburban area. Certainly the fall is kind of the kickoff for... Most churches, there's a sense in which we have a fall kickoff and a spring wrap-up, and then summer is that lull in between where we get ready for the next cycle. So, as we think about kicking off this fall and starting, I'd like to um, introduce you to a theme that will serve as the spiritual focus for our church in the coming years as uh, last year, the elders and pastors and church staff, we actually spent some time praying, uh, discussing, what is it that our church really needs to be focusing on in the coming year? What, what is that kind of center of sort of spiritual emphasis that would really help church in the coming year? And as we prayed, as we thought about it, we came up with this, this sort of bubbled up, this, this spiritual focus for 2013 to 14. And if I could sum it up in a word for you, it would be the word closer. It's the word closer. The idea that we are all needing to draw closer to one another as a body and all of us to draw closer to the Lord himself. If you look in your uh, bulletin, you'll see this little card. It should have come in your bulletin. You'll see these posters around, but this is, th- this is the theme this year that's going to be weaving its way through all kinds of things that are happening Drawing closer to God and to one another uh, it 's a call for all of us to continue that movement away from spiritual consumerism and toward being a real Christian community, to move from the fringe into being a family together and, and, and to move toward having a closer relationship with Christ and with the Lord and not being subtle, not settling with kind of a superficial kind of relationship, but really seeking to know the Lord and draw close to Him. Uh, If you're new to the church, if you've only been here, like maybe you started coming this summer and you're checking it out, maybe this is your first Sunday here, uh, you know, what a perfect time for you to come as well. We want to sort of invite you in and say, you know, join us as we're trying to think about what it means to be closer together as a body of Christ as well as closer to the Lord. Uh, and so, so there's going to be a lot going on this year, a sermon series I'll talk about that in a little bit that kind of goes in that same direction in vain. But this morning, uh, rather than launching the, the sermon series from the year, for the year, which I'll do next Sunday, I just want to introduce that theme to you. But it's not only a theme that, that we've been wrestling with as pastors and elders in the church, but that's also a prayer that Jesus prayed for his church. It's a very big prayer that Jesus has been praying for our church and for all his people, that we would be one, that we would be unified in him. And so that's what I want to look at with you this morning here in John chapter 17, especially verse 21, where it says, He prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, here we are in John's Gospel. We, we studied John's Gospel last year, so this is kind of a reprise of this text. We're looking at it again. We've looked at this text before, but this is the uh, John chapter 17. The entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. One prayer in John chapter 17. And uh, it's one big prayer. It's one of the biggest prayers in the Bible. It's certainly the longest prayer of Jesus that we have recorded. And here is Jesus, literally, hours Before he goes to suffer. Within less than 24 hours. He will be dead. And he's with his disciples. For one last time. And he's gathering them together. And he's praying what's often been called. The high priestly prayer. Over his disciples. And in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 17, he prays for himself as he gets ready to go back to glory with the Father. In verses 6 to 19, he's praying for those disciples around the table that they'll be strong and that God will protect them. But then in verse 20, in our verse, he turns the corner and he he expands that prayer outward, not just for the guys around the table at the Last Supper, but he expands it out for all believers. Look at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for these guys around the table here in front of me. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So now he's kind of looking beyond the moment, beyond the people in front of him and saying, God, I want to pray for all the people who are going to believe because of them. And then as the message goes to those people, the people who believe because of them and then because of them. And so he's kind of looking out over all the generations of faith and seeing the the, the, the day when the, the vine of the gospel is going to spread over all the world and God is going to have all these believers and he's saying, Lord, I'm praying for them. And you know what? That includes us at South Shore Baptist Church. There's a very real sense in which Christ is praying for South Shore Baptist Church too. We're part of those who have come to believe. And what is it that he prays? Here in these last moments before he goes to the cross. interestingly, He doesn't pray for our finances to improve. He doesn't pray for our problems to go away. He doesn't pray for our life to get easier. Though God can do those things, and I don't think it's wrong to pray for those things. And sometimes God answers. But he prays for unity. Verse 21, that they all may be one. That's amazing, isn't it? That in this sort of heightened moment of this final prayer, especially in John's Gospel. The prayer is, may they be one. So as we talk about getting closer as a body and getting closer to the Lord, this is something Christ was lifting up in his final hours before the cross. But it's even bigger than that. It's even more mind-blowing than that. Look what it says next. That they may be one, Father. And then he says the kind of oneness he wants us to have. Just as you are in me and I am in you. so you get that? The kind of oneness, Father, that I want them to have is like, it's just as, it's similar to, it's akin to the kind of oneness and unity, Jesus says, that I have with you, Father, and you have with me. I, I I want them to be unified the way the Trinity is unified. I mean, you know... That it just blows my mind. We're to have the same kind of unity together that's like or similar to the unity within the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Trinity. Think about the Trinity. Well, that hurts your head too. But, you know, you know, you think about the Trinity and it, that's the most unified community in, in the universe. It ever has been. You know, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are so close, so unified, so together, so committed to each other... That they are actually one, even though they're still three, they're one. I mean, that's it's incredible. And when I say one, I don't mean one in a kind of Buddhist or Hindu sense, where sort of all is one and all the differences disappear. No, no, no. The Father is still the Father. The Son is still the Son. The Spirit is still the Spirit. But they're so unified that there's just one God. There's not three gods, and uh, that, that it's hard to get your head around because, frankly, we don't experience things like that in our small little taste of reality. But God is so great and so awesome. But, you know, as if the Trinity wasn't big enough, then to have Jesus say, Lord, let them have unity kind of like ours. What? Wow. That's amazing that he wants us to experience that with one another. Well, we've got to unpack that. That's just so big. What does it mean practically on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week basis, For us to be one the way that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one together. What does that look like? And I I suppose at one level it's difficult to answer that because uh, there's a certain mystery and unknowability to God and and the Trinity. And, and, you know, we're going to be there with Him in heaven figuring out who He is. You know, like we just sang when we've been there 10,000 years, you know, We've only just begun, and that's how long we're going to need to have to just even start to get our heads around God's glory and His awesomeness. God is infinite, and He'll be infinitely wonderful to understand and know in in eternity. So in some ways, it's hard to say, you know, what is our unity like with the Trinity? But in other ways, I do think we can make some partial answers to that question because John's gospel does tell us, it does give us little bitty glimpses into that relationship between the Father and the Son. And so to the extent that we can see how they operate together, we can see the kind of unity we're supposed to have. Let me just suggest two ways in which the Father and the Son are unified and and that we should reflect in, in our life together as a body, as a church, in some of the ways Christ is praying for. Here's the first one of the two. Number one, we need to be unified around the Word of God. We need to be unified in the truth. We need to be unified in the gospel. Think about it. How are the Father and the Son unified? Well, they're unified around this concept of of the Word, that Jesus is the Word, and, and God is truth, and Christ is truth, and God speaks, and out of God speaking comes the Son, and the Son is the Word of God. You know, how does John's gospel start? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that in the beginning you have the Father and the Son. And so it's like God is speaking and, and the Son is what he's speaking and the, the Son reveals the Father. You know, there's this question sometimes people ask. Maybe you've asked it. Maybe you've had people at work ask you this question. You know, How, how do you know there's really a God? How do you know? you know? Maybe there's a God. Maybe there isn't. How is anyone supposed to know that anyway? You know, different opinions. I mean, really, even if God's out there, how, how is a little person like me going to really know that God is real? And the Bible's answer to that question is, we can know there's really a God because the God of the Bible is talking, and he's speaking, and he's saying, I'm actually here. It's like if God didn't say anything, that's, well, we wouldn't know. I mean, how, would, how could you know if there's an invisible divine being unless he decided to go, yep, it's me, and would stretch out his hand somehow and, and reveal himself and speak? And so we have a God in the Bible who's always doing shout outs. He's a shouting out God. You know? Uh, the, the Bible tells us that this whole beautiful creation is a shout out from God. That when you look at the trees and the sunset and the mountains and everything and the new fallen snow, you know, is God saying, I'm here Look how awesome I am, and I'm complex, and I'm beautiful, and I'm awesome, and I'm in control. You know, you can just kind of see it reflected in the world around you. That's God's revelation to us to a small degree, that he really is here, and he really is alive. Or or think about the Bible itself, even better than creation. God took real human words through real human beings and pressed his word through them and had it written down so that This book we have is not only a collection of ancient documents, but it's actually the Word of God. So that as as you read the ancient words of these human beings, God's Word is speaking through them because God is telling us who He is. But the ultimate manifestation of God telling us who He is is, of course, Jesus. He's the Word. I mean, how much clearer can God get than to speak to us in a way that the word that comes out of his mouth is actually him in human flesh. Like, I, you can't get much more clear communication from God than for God himself to become a person and be like, hi, it's me, right? And that's what he did in Jesus. So that's why Jesus is the word. So, so there's this wonderful unity in the Trinity between the Father speaking and the Son as the word and the, the Father revealing and the Son being the revelation and the... In the image of the invisible God, and, and so they're unified in this communication of truth and revelation to us. Well, we share in a similar kind of revelation as believers. We're unified as we come to believe and receive that word. Look at verse 20. John 17:20, "My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me. How? Through their message. So it's as the message, as the word of Christ goes out, and as we believe in it, we enter into this new experience of unity around the word. So our unity is based on God's word. It's based on God's speaking to us. And just as Father and Son are unified in that, we're unified in that. That's one of the ways in which our unity is like the unity between the Father and the Son. You know, sometimes people say, Well, if the the church wants to be more unified, if the church wants to be more together, it needs to downplay doctrine and truth. You know, that just divides people. And it's just the opposite. If we want to be together, we need to lean into God's Word and wrestle with it together. Not that every single Christian agrees on every single detail of what the Bible's saying, but you know, that's our problem. That's not the Bible's problem. And so we have to wrestle with that. You know, I'm actually okay with Christians having some different views on what the Bible says, as long as we're talking about the Bible. Let's, you know, fine, let's wrestle. Let's ask questions. Let's let's sharpen each other, but let's talk about God's word and let it be the word of God that's drawing us in and centering us even as we wrestle together with understanding what God's word has to say. So God's word is is part of the center of our fellowship just like it is with his I was having a conversation with this, uh, about this topic with uh, a guy from our church on Monday uh, at the Labor Day picnic. Uh, some of you know uh, Pierre Fontaine. He's one of the members of our church. Uh, he comes from Haiti. Uh, he's a vocalist, a singer. He's okay. And, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So we were uh, we we're at the picnic, and we were just talking about this whole this conversation. Whole, uh, you know, the, the, my dad's memorial service, my dad passed away last Saturday. So we were talking about death and how different cultures handle it. It was interesting, you know, how, how death is handled in Haiti versus how it's handled here in New England and the cultural differences. And, you know, saying like, you know, how in, in Haiti when someone dies, people are kind of like all over you and they're at your doorstep and trying to be there for you. And in New England, the impulse is, eh, well, let's give them their space, you know, and maybe send them a card, but, try, you know, pull back. And, and so I, I just find those kinds of conversations interesting to think about common human experiences and how different cultures wrestle with those common human experiences. Anyway, um, but, but so, so I took, you know, we're, since we're on that vein in the conversation, I, I said to Pierre, I said, you know, I, I said, help me out here. I said, I, I'm pastoring a church that is slowly becoming more complex culturally and ethnically. Like, what advice do you have for me? as kind of a a, a Haitian brother coming into this church, right? I mean, uh, you know, you think about the last couple membership cycles in our church. Who are the people joining the church as members? We had Brazilians. We had uh, Jamaican lady. We've had uh, Asian, Chinese, Iranian, you know, just different people coming in. So even though South Shore Baptist still kind of feels like a traditional New England sort of church, ethnically and culturally, that's changing, and, uh, and and if I had to predict, you know, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. And I work for a nonprofit organization. But <laughs> if I had to predict what our church would look like in five years, I, I would not be surprised if five years from now the percentage of kind of non-traditional New England culture members of our church, if that percentage was growing, uh, I, I just think that'll happen. So. Which is great, because I think that's happening on the South Shore. That's just how the, our community is changing. So the question is then, I was asking Pierre, I'm like, what do I do, brother? Because I'm, you know, monocultural American. You know, I'm not, you know, an expert on these things. How, how would I lead? How would you tell me to lead well in, a, in that kind of environment? And this is what he said. He said, keep the focus on the word of God. He says that's why I'm here is because i want god's word speaking to me because that that's what's pulling us together you know it's 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 not us all trying to you know destroy the distinctives that we have culturally or in our backgrounds and our upbringing it's it, to create some kind of homogenized new thing no no it's god's word he said that's why i'm here you know not not because sometimes i don't miss being in a haitian church where i just get the cultural language better he says, but I want to hear God's Word taught. And, and this is a place I feel God, and again, I'm not saying that the Word wasn't taught in another church. I'm just saying that's what was drawing him in this particular case in his particular circumstance. And so we need to keep God's Word central because it unifies us. And God's Word, because it is the Word of God and not just ancient documents, it has a supercultural unifying power. It has a transcultural effect that draws all kinds of people together who wouldn't normally associate different ways because it's the word of God. and When God speaks, everybody goes, ah, that's my maker, regardless of where you live on planet Earth because it's the same God who made us all and speaks to the commonness, the common humanity within us as, his, as our maker. But there's a second uh, area, and a way in which we're supposed to be unified that's like the Father and the Son. So Jesus says, may they be unified. May they un- be unified like us, Father. How is that? In one, one sense, it's the Word. May the Word unify us. Here's another way in which we're to be unified. We're to also be unified in love. We're to have truth like Father and Son together, and we're to have love like the Father and the Son together. It's a call to love. You read about the Father and the Son in the Gospel of John, and one of the, another major theme we see is that the Father and the Son love each other. You know, Jesus loves the whole world, but there's someone that Jesus loves more than you. The Father. And there's someone that the Father loves more than you. The Son. The Father and the Son are crazy about each other. They love each other. They savor each other. They delight in each other. And their love for each other is so big and so strong that that the spirit of love between them is so big that the spirit is God. And and that love just overflows to us. And so even their love to us is just an outflow of their love for one another. And you get that down in verse 23. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me And you have loved them even as you have loved me. So God's love for us is is like the, the, the bowl of his love for himself spilling over onto us. Just overflowing because it cannot be contained. Oh, God loves himself because God is the most wonderful thing. And that love for God's self spills over to us. And and so we need to love each other too. We need to have that same kind of devotion and commitment, the way the Father is always building up the Son and preferring the Son and exalting the Son, and the way the Son is always submitting to the Father and loving the Father and responding to the Father and obeying the Father. And they just love each other and prefer each other with such spirit that that spirit itself is divine, the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And so we need to love each other as a body. We need to really care about each other Uh, to that kind of a level. It's kind of hard to think about, really, that we would love each other that way. But that's the kind of love that God is pouring out into our hearts. You know, I I said this at uh, my dad's memorial service yesterday, but I just wanted to say again to those who weren't able to come, I just want to thank you as a church for how much you loved my parents over the last two years that they've been here. You guys have just been really awesome some of you have visited. Some of you said hi after the service. Some of you sent cards. Some of you didn't even really know my parents, but I know you just shot up a couple prayers. That was awesome. And and I and I said this at the memorial service yesterday, but I think my my dad especially experienced a level of Christian love and fellowship here that I I don't know if he's ever experienced in another church before. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, there's one little scene that I'll, I'll remember that kind of epitomized that for me, a little picture I have that I took it from my brain and posted on the wall of my Facebook cart, and uh, there it is, always to look at, but but I was I was like, eh, two-ish months ago, month and a half, um, serv- service ended this summer, I went out in the lobby, I was over on that side of the lobby, and I was doing the handshake thing, and uh, Dad was over on that side of the lobby, and he was tired and weak, and So he went out and sat down on the couch out there because I was like, just sit on the couch. People don't care. They'll come and talk to you because he couldn't stand up very long. So he he was sitting on the couch and I was sitting there shaking hands. I looked across the lobby and there he was with just this like throng of people. You know, he was holding court and all these people just coming over to encourage him and, you know, cheer him on and and that kind of thing as he was running his race. And, uh, you know, well, my first thought was I think his line is bigger than mine. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what's up with that? But my second thought, second thought was, you know, thank you, Lord, for a loving church. Thank you for a loving church that would just, you know, see the need and press into that and, and be there for him. It was awesome. You know, there's so many lessons in that moment. You know, one lesson is if you're hurting, struggling, don't run away, come close. You know, I think that's an important lesson that, you know, my dad could have been like, you know, I'm weak, I don't look great, I feel bad, I'll stay home. And, and I think that's what happens a lot of times. We go through hard times, and our instinct is, I just need to, I need to be by myself, I need to run away. And then, you know, we do that, and we keep running away, and three months later, we're like, why isn't anyone reaching out to me? And it's like, well, you're making it really hard. Like, you need to, you need to press in. You need to step in and say, hi, I'm here, I'm hurting. You know, and I not be like, oh, I don't look great. Just like, just come in and say, I'm here. How are you doing today? Don't say, Fine. Say, I'm a mess today. Pray for me. Like, and, and when people know that, then they're like, oh, oh, I love you. Let me express it. And then I think the other side of that is, is, of course, when we see people that we know about people who are hurting in our body, let's just be a loving body that really cares for one another. But it's not only caring for another in times of difficulty and hurt and sustaining each other. I, I think the love that Christ is talking about here—that we need to have—the kind of love He had for us—is a redemptive, forgiving love. You know, that, that's the other side about being a church family. It's like, hey, let's all be a church family, and people are like, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds warm and fuzzy. Wait a minute, did you say family? Huh? Because there's some other connotations of family: dysfunction, <laughs> fights you know, falling outs, right? That's the other side of it. It's like, you know, the idea of being together and drawing closer, it's, it's kind of cool in theory. But when you actually look around the room and go, oh, but with them, are you sure? <laughs> then you realize they're looking at you going, with him, are you sure? And so being in community is, is challenging with sinful human beings. And, and so I guess I'm challenging us to get close enough to each other that we can actually start disappointing each other so that we'll then have to actually show grace to each other. It's really easy to love people and show grace when you got them like a million feet apart. You're like, oh yeah, I love those Christians over there that I don't actually have to deal with. But when you have to actually be in community with each other and know each other, that's when we start disappointing each other. That's when we start frustrating each other. That's when we can really start to practice biblical community where we actually have to forgive. We actually have to to bear with one another in love when we get close enough. And so, so this call to closer is a call to experience love, but not just sort of a, you know, kind of 60s hippie love, but like a real crucified love where I have to crucify my hurts and crucify my frustrations and love you and you have to do the same for me. And that's the kind of love that Christ had for us. An overflow of his love. That other-centered, other-preferring love that the Father and the Son have for one another that the Father and Son showed us. It's it's awesome. So let's grow closer. Let's have a kind of love like the Father and the Son had. That's that's what we're doing this year. And and again, that's our spiritual emphasis. We're doing a few programmatic things to kind of like get that started a little bit. Uh, Again, if you look at your little handout thing just three things we're doing you look at the bottom of that little handout it says three ways to draw closer one dive into first corinthians by using our weekly study guide next week i'm going to start preaching through first corinthians a letter to a very messed up church the corinthians were very divided they needed to draw closer to one another. They need to draw closer to the Lord, and it's a great opportunity to study that. We have a team that's writing study guides. The study guides are available at the table on the way out. Even if you're not in a growth group, you can just take a study guide home, study it, and then the next Sunday, hear a sermon on it and try to wrestle with it more. Uh, number two, join a First Corinthians growth group. Join a growth group and uh, hook, hook up with some other Christians and just wrestle with the text together and, and be in a setting where you can can really support and love one another. And then finally, just commit to praying daily for our church to draw closer to God and one another. Make this part of your regular prayer cycle. God, I just pray that our church really would experience more of this. But start leaning into that in some way or another. And that's kind of what we're doing programmatically, just one little thing to highlight that theme and that, that emphasis. But I want you to notice here that Jesus goes a little bit further. Look back at verse 21. I want you to see this. All right, so Jesus says, may they be one. Wow, big prayer. And then he kicks it up a notch. May they be one like the Father and the Son are one. Whoa, that's even bigger. And then he kicks it up another notch. And he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Not just may they be like us, but may they be in us. Did you hear that? the escalation there? Not just father and son are kind of a model. I'm like, all right, we're going to aim for that. But being in them in some way, whatever that means. Verse 23, I in them and you in me. So Jesus is not only talking about the Father and the Son unity as a kind of model for our unity, but the Father and Son unity as the power of our unity, as the something we experience. So that when I become a Christian, it's not just believing certain doctrines and committing myself to certain ethical behaviors. It is actually, when you believe in Jesus, you're actually entering into Christ. And His Spirit, is entering into you. You enter into a, a kind of communion with the Lord that I can't really describe to you. You just have to experience it. You just have to put your faith in Christ. And you'll suddenly find Christ living in you. And it's the most wonderfully strange awesome thing ever. To be in a communion with the Spirit of the Lord. And it is that faith in Christ, that union with Christ that draws us together as a body. And so so that's why it's not enough just to say draw closer to each other. You also have to ground that in, drawing closer to the Lord. It's actually our spiritual unity. This isn't just an organizational unity. It's not just an institutional unity. It's a spiritual unity that we have in Christ with each other. So we have to draw close to each other, I mean, close to the Lord, which will draw us closer to each other. Or to put it another way, if I were just to stand up here to you and say, okay, all right, be... Be more unified, love each other more. Get with it. Study the word more, love each other more, go. You're totally going to fail. And so would I. Because that's not how we grow as Christians. As Christians, we don't just get up and say, all right, I'm trying harder today. Today I'm going to do it. I'm going to listen to what the pastor said today or what I think I've been wanting to change in my life. Because our own sin gets in the way. And so the, the Christian life is about coming to the Lord daily and saying, God, I need you to do this in my life. Isn't that what he said back in chapter 15? Oh, go back to John fifteen five. Everyone write this verse on a three-by-five card and put it on your mirror when you get up in the morning to brush your teeth. Verse 5, I am the vine. That's Jesus, not you. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, if he stays connected to me and I in him, you're going to be great. You're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing without Christ. And so the message of the gospel isn't, all right, straighten up now, time to improve your life. The message of the gospel is, you're a mess and you're a disaster. Christ came to save disasters and to and to change them by His power, and so the gospel is about trusting in the power of God every day to become a more loving person. I had the privilege of speaking at a conference uh, in August, uh, where the main speaker was a guy named Paul Tripp. Some of you have heard of Paul Tripp. Uh, you know, if you if you can read a Paul Tripp book, fantastic stuff. But Paul Tripp's thing is is he was just he was a pastor and he was a disaster, and he came to terms with that. And, and so his, his whole passion is, is kind of just opening up that conversation of saying we need grace every day. The gospel is not just the thing that saves us, and the gospel is not just the thing that gets us into heaven when we die. The gospel is how we live our life every day, that we have to wake up every day and say, God, like, I need your grace. i got to stay in the vine today, because otherwise I'm not going to be a loving person. I need you, God. Uh, Paul Tripp has a prayer he prays every morning. He, he shared this with us. Here's his prayer he prays every morning when he gets out of bed. It, it's, you can probably even use this yourself. It's easy to memorize. It goes like this. Lord, I need help today. <laughs> he prays it every morning. And then he says a second prayer, which is, Lord, send help today. And the third prayer is, and give me the grace to... Recognize and receive the help that you send to me today. But I need help. God, if you don't work in my life today, I'm gonna to be the old BC before Christ Jeremy and no one wants that. You know, if you're struggling with addictions and and patterns of sin in your life, the first step is to come to God every day and say, God, I need your word, I need, I need you. It's to pray and to seek his word every day. Because without that, you're just going to crash and burn. We need his power in our lives. So it's not enough to seek a unity like the Lord. We have to seek a unity in the Lord. We need gospel power in our lives if we're going to have the victory. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so let us also be people who are in Christ as well as like Christ. And it's by our inness in Christ that we can become like Christ, because it's His power as the life of the vine moves through these fragile branches and the fruit is born for eternal life. All right, let me end the sermon now. But I want to end it in a weird way, kind of a strange way. Uh, I, wa- I want to end this sermon by objecting to what I've just said and offering an objection to this. So we've talked about the closer theme. We need to grow closer to each other and closer to the Lord. Jesus prayed, may they be one like us and in us. And that's that's all cool. But But here's the objection, and it's been rattling around in my head, and it's just kind of there. Maybe it's in your minds too. But the objection is this. If the theme this year is to draw closer to the Lord and to one another, what about... God's call upon us to be salt and light to the south shore of Boston okay so there's that's it's in my head okay great closer holy huddle light the campfire kumbaya you know okay we all know each other we're all pressing in we're all getting to know the Lord but but are we kind of turning our backs on on the world I mean what what about the gospel right what about the, uh, the people that you know that you're concerned about for Christ? Is it sort of like, well, you know, I, I would have had you over a couple times this year to show you Christ's love, but I'm trying to get closer to my church. So, uh, you, you know, I mean, what about, the, what about the perhaps million people who live in greater southeastern Massachusetts who need the gospel? What about planting churches? You know, Sasha Baptist Church, if we, don't, if we don't get planting a church in the next three to five years, we've got a problem. You know, we need to get moving. Get the gospel out there. There's no time to waste. What about our missions conference at the end of October? Should we cancel it? You know, because we're trying to get closer, right? So anyway, that's what's in my head. Maybe it's not yours. So I'm so comforted by what Jesus says at the end of verse 21. Look how verse 21 ends. He prays, Lord, that all of them may be one. That's closer. Father, just as I am in you and you're in me, like the Father and Son, may they be one in us, in the Father and Son, Ah, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so in Jesus' mind, being a body that is loving and unified and that reflects the character of God, being a body that reflects God's glory is actually a help to the gospel, not an opposition to the gospel. That, that if we want to reach the South Shore, but we neglect our life together as a community, we're actually going to be undercutting our, our heroic efforts to go reach the South Shore. That the two are synergistic, not oppositional. It's not a zero-sum game where if we try to get closer, we're taking energy away from the one or the other. They actually serve each other and work together so that the world may believe. Verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me. Right? So the... The unity of the church and the love we have for each other around the word and care for each other and and, and, uh, forgiveness of each other, that's like the the basis and the credibility that gives our gospel proclamation oomph out in the world. Uh, You know, think about um, about it this way. Here's a way to think about it. When Jesus was on planet Earth, he faced a lot of skepticism. In fact, it got him killed. And he was on planet earth, and he was preaching that he was the son of God. He was preaching that you had to believe in him to have eternal life. That was a huge, kind of crazy message that a lot of people had a hard time with. But Jesus did something to give credibility to his message. What did Jesus do? He did miracles. He would heal the sick and raise the dead and open the eyes of the blind. And so people are like, whoa, 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 you're blaspheming. You're saying you're the son of God. And Jesus would say, oh, what about the miracles? You know, hey, if you don't believe me, at least believe on the basis of the miracles. So the miracles were credibility for the message as in addition to helping people in need. They, they were credibility for the message. Well, we're in a similar kind of situation today. We're called to take the gospel to the world. We're called to take the gospel to an unbelieving, skeptical, cynical, eh, right, you're trying to sell me something kind of world that we all run into all throughout the week. And we're trying to bring the gospel to them. And, and they're like, how do we know? And so what we need is we need a miracle to show the world. We need a miracle to give credibility to the gospel. And may I suggest that one of the chief miracles the Lord has given us is the church living the way it should live. That's the key. That a unified church of people from all different cultural, ethnic, sociological, economic backgrounds is a, a miracle that gives credence and credibility to the gospel. You think about um, Syria. I, I don't know, I've, I've just been kind of watching that. I'm a little freaked out about Syria right now. Where's that going? That's kind of, maybe you're not freaked out. I'm a little freaked out. I'm heartbroken for those people. That civil war there. Two million people in Syria are now living outside. It's like one of the biggest refugee crises in history. Four million people within Syria all displaced and moving around. And you look at Syria, and you're like, man, what a mess. You've got, it's a, well, first of all, it's a civil war. You've got the, the government on one side, and you've got the, uh, the Free Syrian Army on the other, and then you've got these kind of extremist groups that are there. They're kind of on their own, sort of. And then backing Syria, backing Assad as, you know, Hezbollah and Iran with... Russia kind of behind that, partnered with China kind of, and then there's America, and we're like, we're going to strike, and we got Britain and France, so we're trying to get all these people together. You just look at that whole thing, and you're like, oh my gosh, what a mess. You know, who are the bad guys? Who are the good guys? Like, it's tough to tell. It's such a disaster. And then you look at that whole thing, and you say, you know, that's just human history. And not just that, it's a tragedy too, but you, know, you see humanity there. Shrink it way down. That's your homeroom in high school, in junior high. Shrink it way down. That's your office. Shrink it way down. That was Thanksgiving at your family last year, you know? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, it's like, oh, everyone's against each other and there's parties and factions. Shrink it down. That's churches sometimes. And that hurts. Some of us have been in that. Some of us are amazed we're here today because we've been in that kind of church setting. Um, That's the world. And we all know it's wrong. We all wish we could, you know, let's all get together, try to love somebody right now. We we all wish, you know, give peace a chance. We all wish for world peace. But it seems like whenever we try to do something to accomplish peace, we just trip over ourselves as human beings. You know, there's little glimpses like the Olympics. You're like, oh, could it just be like that? And then... But the country is represented there by the teams are killing each other. And like, oh. and you go, ah, the UN, and the, but then they're all like conniving, and there's factions, and you know they're using the UN as a political tool to advance their own agendas. It's like a mess. You just think, ah, oh, this world. Where's the unity? Where's the love and the peace? And God has a peace plan. It's the gospel. That as we come to peace with the Lord, we come to peace with each other. And, and Jesus is praying here that his people, and specifically, in our case, South Shore Baptist Church, would be a miracle of unity to show to the world. That we could say, look at this. People go, what? Your church? You know, you say, yeah, yeah, we got different, you know. That's in Hingham, that's a rich church, right? No. Some people have money, some, a lot of people don't. Well, that, you know, hang on, that's a white church, right? Well, you know, there's been people coming in from different backgrounds, that's kind of changing. Well, hang on, that's a, well, how, how do you get all those people together in your church? What, and you guys kind of seem to be getting along. Yeah, we're getting along. It's not perfect, but we're getting along. You're like, how do you guys do that? And we could say, because Jesus is real, and he's in our church, and he's overriding all of our natural tendencies to go in different directions, you know? Christ is here. He's real. He's not just a crutch that helps me through my week that you can maybe use if it works for you or not. No, no, no. He's the Lord, and he really came from the Father. So that we as a church have an opportunity through our unity to give a credibility to the gospel that I think this world would make the world stand up and take notice by God's grace. And so, brothers and sisters, let us draw closer to each other, closer. Not just because it's a nice idea, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of Christ, let us be the kind of people that Jesus prays for by his power. Amen? Amen? Amen.